Since this episode was originally recorded, both the Nats and the Mets have been mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. Also, Nats manager, Davey Martinez, has received a new contract extension. Anything can happen in the From the Cheap Seats universe. In our last episode, Leonardo from Manhattan went down with his ship in the year 1583. It is now September 2020 and Leonardo is a Harley biker riding near Secaucus, New Jersey. What do you want? Uh, I thought some coffee. Fine. Sit down. Five-star service. Don't listen to that grumpy guy, honey. He's impossible when his hemorrhoids act up. Sit down in this booth. Uh, hey, do I know you? I don't think so, handsome. Some hot coffee? Sure. In another booth in the diner. Diane, it's Agent Grover again, investigating the grisly murder of a local girl. I'm currently watching suspect Leonardo fording with a diner waitress. By the way, this cherry pie is amazing. Only yards away, in the kitchen. Hey Rob, who's the biker with the 90s goatee? I don't know, but I have an idea what to do with him. Yeah? Back at Leonardo's booth. I have to say, miss... You look exactly like someone I once knew. Really? Your name wouldn't be Bernice, would it? Nah, my name is Denise. But I do have a twin sister named Bernice. We hate each other. Well, me and Bernice were sort of old flames. Diane, activate the team. I think something is about to go down here. Back in the kitchen. Jill, see if you can plant this scrap of clothing from the dead girl and the biker. Uh... Okay. And take this, just in case. A pistol? Really? Oh, please. Denise, I'm putting all my cards on the table here. You need to run away with me now. We have a special connection. Yeah, but my shift doesn't end till two. The Mets are out of contention for the playoffs! I just heard it! Oh, <laughs> honey, it's okay. They always lose. Diane, where are the guys? Jill, go now. Okay! Denise! The back door! Okay. Fast! Everyone, hit the floor! Hands out! You are the commander! Drop! Whoa, whoa, buckaroos. You guys have a reservation. Take me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to From the Cheap Seats, your favorite podcast for frank, unapologetic, and shamelessly opinionated Washington Nationals news outside the press box, the dugout, and the very informative stadium urinals. My name is Thad Helsley, and today I am very pleased to welcome back the Northeast's most beloved sports commentary trio, the Mets Mob. They include David Grover. What's up, everybody? Rob, formerly from Brooklyn, now Upper East Side. Yo, yo, and yo. And the unparalleled Leonardo from Manhattan. Hey, Leonardo here, and I've known Thad for... 14 years, and I just realized your last name has an S sound. I was calling you Thad Halkley for the last 12 years, and you never corrected me. Oh, uh, didn't I? Well, I, I don't, because it, there's so many variations. I, it's, it's almost pointless. 
So, and, and by the way, <laughs> for those, like, this, po- like this podcast in this whole season, pointless. <laughs> by the way, for those that have been following us continuously, they're all looking at each other right now and saying, hey, he didn't, he didn't plug Arrive Alive. What the heck? It's coming. Don't worry. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have a candidate on the short list to fill the vacancy in the Supreme Court, our artificial intelligence, Bernice. I don't think I'll get the job, but I look great in black. It's slimming. <laughs> Welcome, all of you. Thank you. Whoa, 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 Let's whoa, do whoa. it. So, gentlemen, I originally invited you to attend a very somber funeral wake for the Washington Nationals 2020 season. Friends, loved ones, and fans, we are gathered here today to mourn the sad and tragic loss of the 2020 Washington Nationals season. But after a four-game winning streak, including a doubleheader against the Phillies last night, where uh, Bryce Harper pooped his pants, there apparently remains a small statistical chance for us to get a wild card slot if the Nats win all or most of their final five games. But wait, beginning tomorrow, our last four games are against the New York Metropolitans. How funny is that? It seems like our respective playoff chances hinge upon one another good drama huh dave love it could not have planned that any better right we're filming this on the taping this on the cusp of the biggest four game series of this week true true so uh uh rob what do you think so wait a minute so you're telling me the the season actually started is that what uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. apparently it did yeah so, yeah so they've yeah. been playing yeah <laughs> Wow. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. let me, uh, hang on. Let me go online real quick. No, no, no. What, what I, what I believe is, you know, it, it's, it, I, if you take a look, I did not believe that we were going to make it to this point. I didn't think we were going to get to the end of the season. It was Wait, a but who of, did, who did, uh, you did a very, what did we say? Wishy-washy 52%. Uh, doesn't matter. I was right. No, I didn't. I didn't say it yeah. did matter. I'm just yeah. saying, I'm just quoting you, but here, here we are. Uh, and here we are yet again uh, on the precipice of the Mets uh, falling a uh, what, what's the old expression a dollar short and a dime something or other day, day late and a dollar day short. late dollar short but again kind of a bonkers slapped together season anyway so you just got to figure like we've been saying all along lucky to have gotten to where we are right now I'm um, uh, a profound uh, retrospectiveness. Well, you know, number one, to all the atheists out there that don't believe that there's a God, the fact that the <laughs> Mets, what's so funny about that? Uh, the fact that the Mets are getting sold, uh, proof positive that the big guy exists, right? And they're getting sold to a guy that wants to win, win now, win big, win often. So uh, there is a God there. And um, I think I'm mostly looking forward to next season. I'm still totally confused and maybe one of you guys can help me out here is why we see commercials for met season tickets for next year when who the hell knows what we're going to be doing but that's my only gripe but other than that very happy that somebody that has a lot of money and a lot of resources and and from new york and not named will pond is going to be owning the mets soon and well, not named a rod yeah well this is yeah. the best worst end of Mets season right 
I mean, normally when the Mets being out of it like this or almost out of it, they have a small chance, fans would be angry and bitter. But we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We see our Messiah coming. We see Steve Cohen. This franchise change, this might be the biggest franchise change in its history. We have a multi-billionaire owner coming in who's a fanatical Mets fan who finally will spend money and treat this franchise like a big market team. I'm going to mark this down that I agree with David. Once again, I think it was like, this is our second time. Uh, I would agree. But let's just not forget. Remember that book, the best, the, the best team, the worst team money could buy when we had the the biggest payroll was 94. Was it 96? Something like that. And we came in dead last. Yeah. So it's not just money, but I think it's turning around the whole organization from the scouting, you know, to just teaching the players. Look at the Cardinals, right? They're always up there. Uh, they don't always spend a lot of money, but they teach their kids from the farm system, single A, double A, you know, how to play the game the right way. Yeah, so are the Braves too. But you yeah, know something? That's true. Money too. matters. Money makes a difference. You gotta spend it, you know, the right way, as your yeah. wife would say. If you spend money, you have a very good chance of making the playoffs. Even if you look at the Yankees, all right? They gave what 150 something million dollars to Jacoby Ellsbury. If the Mets did that, well, uh-huh. they'd be bank they'd have no free agent signings for 10 years, right? Yanks went out and got Garrett Cole. It didn't matter. When you have money, you can make mistakes and spend over those mistakes. That's true. So you guys have me at a bit of a disadvantage because I didn't have this in my rundown. So maybe you could provide a little more color on this purchase because the last I heard, um, uh, A-Rod, we're going to buy the team. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. They're out. They're out. They- and they came out saying that they would guarantee a World Series within 10 years or they would give like 50 or $100 million to some charity. I don't know why Cohn can't just buy the team and have A-Rod be the GM because he is like what was – he's the rain man of baseball. Right? Everybody tells you he knows everything about players. He can spot talent. I don't understand. What I guess he wouldn't want to work as a GM. He wants no, to own a, he, he wants to be the owner. That. He doesn't want to be a, an employee. No, he doesn't have that type of money. Yeah, nah, he wants to be an owner. He doesn't want to be the GM. No, no, Thad. This. I mean, do you want to own the art gallery? Do you want to paint the masterpieces? I, I think he wants to do both. He doesn't want to be the well, employee. He doesn't yeah, want to be answering to Steve Cohen. All right? yeah, I want to, have to be the guy. I want to. So, have five is this purchase inevitable? Is it inevitable at this uh, point? Just about. We're just waiting on. In the next couple of weeks, the owners have to approve him, which is, I wouldn't say a formality, but very close to being one. And they have to, like two thirds majority. Has yeah, to be, right? the deal's yeah. done. Yeah, the the contracts are signed. And if all things uh, being equal, he should be the official owner in a few weeks. And this is gigantic, gigantic news for Mets fans. Now, as a, as a longtime friend of DeGroves, I have to tell you both, Thad and Leonardo, that when this floated out there, uh, what was it, a couple of years ago, DeGrove? Steve Cohen? Yeah. Nah, it would think it was recently. No, it was about no, uh, within no, a year. No, no, the, the first, a year ago? Yeah, about yeah. a year ago. Yeah. DeGrove was ecstatic. He was he was he was like a little girl. He was very very happy. He couldn't wait at the prospect of someone coming in and spending money and going out and getting these top line free agents that like a like a Machado who in the past where the Mets were like, well, well you know that's not really uh, that's not a guy that fits into our plans because the the coupons would have to open up their wallet. But he, he's been touting this guy since the name floated onto the radar. So on behalf of all Met fans, you can know that uh, this would be huge uh, for a team that has, unfortunately, depressingly, 
uh, always taken a backseat to the New York Yankees in the past few years. Yeah, and Fat, as a Washington Nationals guy, I'm not sure you understand because you guys are pretty good with spending money over there. Well, actually, we're we're low. I remember this is a medium market team. We're actually um, almost 100 million below 75 percent of the other teams in terms of uh, salary payroll. But you, guys, but you guys will step up if need be, right? You did offer Harper 300 million or whatever you yep. did. You did Scherzer. You guys step up when you have to, and Mets fans don't. One of the Mets have two horrible things about their payroll that we have to live had to live with. I hopefully it's finished. Number one, free agent time. We know the Mets are out of it. They sit back and watch all the stars go elsewhere, and that's annoying. Mm. What's even worse is watching your young players do really well and knowing they're only a couple years away from the Wilpons not re-signing them and trading them away because they make too much money. That's the worst part of it. No, that's true. I mean, uh, the Nats have stepped up, although, uh, you know, I don't think that Bryce Harper offer was serious and we lost Rendon, right? We didn't step up with him. That was that was tragic. That was tragic. But at least you signed um, Strasburg. We re we re-signed Strasburg, and then guess what? Same old things. Oh, my hand hurts. (laughs) Thirty million dollars. I can't play. My hand hurts. Ah, Signing pitchers. That's what happens. (laughs) Happy you sign starting pitchers. They get you every time. And you know, we we just uh, you know we waited to the last minute last week to re-sign our president Mike Rizzo. You know who sort of made this team, but our manager. Davey Martinez does not assign a contract. And technically, after Sunday, he doesn't have a job. Really? Yeah, but your managers seem to go back. You know, you don't see managers jump ship so much over contracts. No, no, his contract is over. How come they didn't give him an extension? It's over. Yeah, it's over. Well, it may may say that it's over after the series, so October. But, I mean, they're they're definitely waiting to the last minute, aren't they? Who's out there? Is Buck Showalter managing? He's not, right? No, No, he's a free agent. Do they want him back? I think you got to have him back I, just to accept the freaking trophy next year. Like, when are they going to – I mean, uh, they have to give last year's trophy away or present it next year somehow to the fans. How do they not take him back? He just won a World Series for them. On, yeah, this season ago? is like, you know, if you hit 350, that's cool. But if you hit – unlike unless you're freaking uh, Alonzo, who looks like he forgot how to play the game. But, you know, I think you can let <laughs> – it really does, you know. Uh, he's swinging under everything, you know. It's almost like uh, remember that scene from Caddyshack where uh, Bill Murray says to Chevy Chase, "Oh, I'll just cut his cut his hamstring. He'll push everything to the right. He'll never play. <laughs> he'll, he'll give up the game. He'll give up the game." And he looks like that, you know. And they put yeah, four they, they put four outfielders, uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are notorious for putting four outfielders in the outfield more so than anybody else. They put four outfielders uh, in against Alonzo like three times. In one game, and I think he struck out. Nah, he's been hitting. He's hit this series. He's actually hitting this series. He's been hitting. He's got some home runs. Got a few RBIs. He's actually up now with runners on base. So, Rob, you sort of took away one of my other questions uh, a few minutes minutes ago. But I did want a sort of a general 
look back because in our earlier podcasts, yeah. and I was kind of going through some of the earlier stuff just to get ready for this. Sure. And uh, it was just as this short 60 game season was starting in late July, mm-hmm. there was a lot of skepticism in this group. Absolutely. That MLB would even make it to the postseason because there were so many teams that were like, oh, we're going into the quarantine. We can't play. And, Correct. you know, we'll postpone the game. And, um, and Rob, you said it was a house of cards about to collapse. Yep. And yet, even after that rocky start, MLB somehow pulled it off. So do we do we give them kudos? Do we take off our hat or say it was just luck or I think God's a will? absolutely a combination of the two. And I will always fly under the ideology of I'd rather be lucky than good. They and again, I, it's not one of those things where I look back and I and I say, well, how was I possibly thinking that? I think I was spot on, pleasantly surprised I was wrong, but they managed to to pull it off to their credit. A totally bizarre season. I, I've been I've been saying to anybody that would listen, I think I mentioned this once before, it has the feel of a Sunday uh, afternoon pickup game in the park where you don't have enough for a nine on nine. So you're like, okay, uh, no pitcher, no catcher, no second baseman. If you hit a ground ball to the right side, you're out. You can't tag up on a fly to left. Just all these kind of bizarre rules to just make it so that, you know what, we're there. It's a nice day. Let's play. But well, I, some people have called it sort of an extended preseason, kind of. I don't know about that, but even to the extent I mean, where, if you win the World Series, you're not going to call it that. But, it, you know, from the standpoints of the Nats, which suck, they're like, well, you know, it's an extended preseason. Yeah. It doesn't really count that much. But, I mean, seven-inning <laughs> double headers, a guy yeah, starts yeah. on second. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just it, – it's, it's too bizarre. DH in the National League. There's just so much that I don't believe is going to stay to next the extra year. Inning thing. You said that, yeah. Some of them. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, with everything that Rob just said, with uh, right. what, what's the degree of legitimacy that this season will be regarded by either the fans or anyone else two months from now when they look back at this thing? Will they say, "Was this a season? A real season? A quad? What are, what are they going to call it?" I think it's even if you real. guys end up winning the World Series, what are uh, they going to call it? it? It's real. Think about what is it, '82 when the Dodgers won the World Series? Does anybody really remember what the circumstance? Actually, if I remember, the Dodgers would not have even made the playoffs if it was a regular type season. Remember they had a half and half or something like that. You talking '81? Yeah, Dodgers yeah, won the World Series. That's what I was going to say. That that's what the season feels like to me. The the strike shortened eighty one season. Oh nobody, yeah, right, right. Yeah, but nobody looks at that championship from the Dodgers any differently, right? It's, it's was that a, the year Rob you were in reform school and they let you watch TV from four to six only? Uh, I believe I was actually in Catholic school, and uh, they said, "What are you doing here? You're yeah, Jewish." The only Jew. So I said, oh. <laughs> it's, it's like, hey, I'm circumcised. Leave me right. alone. So. <laughs> Right. Well, they said, are you circumcised? I said, any kind of exercise is good by me. I wonder what's going to happen to all the minor leaguers that didn't play this year. What kind of shape are they going to be in? Does that affect, you know, if you are a veteran and you thought maybe this would be your last year, do you stay on? Because, A, your body didn't go through the rigors of a full season, so maybe you're feeling better next year. And maybe you're saying, you know what, that rookie that would have came up and taken my place might not because they didn't play. In triple A ball. No, they didn't play at all. You know, it's funny. My son's high school coach plays in like this 
very informal men's league on Staten Island. Yeah. And the key plays against like real prospects, real minor league guys who have nowhere else to go. They're playing in these little men's leagues. Wow. Yeah. No coaches, nothing. So yeah, that's what that's what's going on. So the minor league guys are gonna be way behind. I wanted to acknowledge the passing of a true baseball legend, pitcher Tom Seaver. Bernice, could you help us introduce this amazing ball player? George Thomas Seaver was a professional baseball pitcher who played 20 seasons in Major League Baseball from 1967 to 1986. A longtime Met, Seaver played a significant role in their victory in the 1969 World Series. Seaver was a Rookie of the Year recipient and won three Cy Young Awards. He was a 12-time All-Star and ranks as the Mets' all-time leader in wins, compiling 311. He also pitched 3,640 strikeouts, 61 shutouts, and a 2.86 earned run average. In 1992, Seaver was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the highest percentage of votes ever recorded at the time. And Len, I know you're a great fan of Tom Terrific, and I thought you might want to comment for both the Washington, D.C. people and the New York people uh, on this great career. Sure. I was thinking about this while riding home on my motorcycle today. You know, he has a lot of records. From the ages of 23 to 32, he struck out 200 batters per year, at least. Some of the years were like 263, 240. And the All-Star Games, of course, the World Series, the unbelievable World Series wins. He should be, you know, he should be noted and, and held in high regard for that. But the quality that I think that to me he has that many don't today and even many back then did not have is his leadership in the clubhouse and he took responsibility. There's an art, there's a story in his first book called Pitching with Tom Seaver. I think I mentioned this earlier on a different podcast on one of our earlier podcasts, but to shorten it, Jerry Grody comes out one night to the mound, not happy uh, that Tom's shaking him off. And Jerry Grody, you know, the Mets catcher back then, and he was a veteran. He was a veteran, and Tom was like his second year in the league. And Grody says to Tom Seaver, hey, who's calling this game, me or you? And Seaver looks at Grody, and he says, I am. And then Grody just kind of looked at the ground and walked back because he was right. He, he, you know, he took responsibility. It was his game to win or lose. And just, and, but he could also be funny, too, and he could also be a good teammate. I'll give you an example. In Ron Darling's first book, and I forgot the name of it, but in his first book, he tells a story. Uh, during Ron Darling's Ron Darling's rookie year was 1983. The major league minimum salary in 1983 was $35,000. And back then, they actually got physical checks delivered to them in the clubhouse by, like, one of the secretaries. You know, they would come out and, like, hand in checks. There was no direct deposit. There's no ATMs, you know. So he, uh, Ron Darling tells the story where, where, where Ron got his check for the league minimum. So, and it was divvied up in 26 weeks because that was the length of the season. So, Ron, his check was $1,820. And Seaver says to uh, Ron in front of the, the whole clubhouse, Hey, Ronnie, how much is your check? And, and, and Ron says, Yeah, it's like $1,820.06. And Seaver pulls out 1800 crisp $100 bills and says, he says, come here, sign the check over to me. I'll cash it for you. You know, so <laughs> I think uh, so. He, I think he could be a good teammate. And if I was picking, we're getting a little chilly, right? You know, chills right now. But if, if you had to ask me, you're hmm. building an all time team. Who's your number one right hand to starter? And I would pick Tom Seaver. So let me ask. So he was with the Mets for 10 years, right? 
and then he left for a while and then he came back for a year. So what is there a story in there that makes sense? Well, here's here's my take on it. And and it's interesting okay. because if you if you're a Tom Seaver fan, and hear uh-huh. me hear me clearly, not a Mets fan, but a Tom Seaver fan, you're mm. actually as difficult as it was, it was you're very glad that he left the Mets in 1977 and went to the Cincinnati Reds because had he not, he never comes anywhere close to hitting 300, win- 300 plus wins. Uh, the Met teams of the late seventies were bad and getting worse. Yep. Uh, not much to look at in the early eighties until I think around guys, keep me honest, maybe 83, late 84, maybe 83, 84. Yeah. 83, well, he they, came they, back they in good. 83, right? That's when yeah. he came back he in 83 back. and there was really yeah. not much going on there. And then, they left him unprotected, thinking who's going to want a 40-something-year-old yep. pitcher? And the Chicago White Sox were like, well, it's not a 40-something-year-old pitcher. It's Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver. Uh, and they mm-hmm. took him and they paired him up with Carlton Fisk. And he then went on to win his 300th game uh, right here in New York. Wrong stadium. Yankee. Yeah. Ouch. Right. Yeah. yeah. But he did win it here in New York. So well and he was also on the 40 man roster of the Red Sox in 1986 although he was injured for the playoffs and he was 5 and 7 and then he tried to come back in 87 as uh, a Met. with the Mets right. as a Met but he just had no you know like people like Bud Harrelson were getting like triples off of him uh you know in BP he just didn't have it and he knew it and uh and you know what and it's also a testament I mean his wines are very expensive and he's been very successful it was very successful at that you know, Tom Seaver is the only player who was in uniform for both Met World Championships, right? Obviously, both? 69. Well, 69, obviously, he pitched. In 86, he was in the dugout for the Red Sox. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's actually there's footage of him wow. uh, in the opposing dugout. And what's interesting is, and I've looked for it, there's no video, there's no interviews. I don't know how somebody pregame. Yeah. Doesn't take a camera and a microphone down to that Red Sox dugout and talk to Tom it's, Seaver at Shea Stadium for the World Series. How does nobody think to have that conversation? Bizarre. And that's why Rob Houtman is a media genius. Uh, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> why didn't that happen? It's like a forgotten <laughs> fact. You know, it's never. But he, you know, like I said, I wasn't around in the 60s, but he was the franchise, right? He came up and when the Mets went from laughing stocks to championship, he is credited for being that guy. And what I also found interesting was he adored Gil Hodges. They had this yes. incredible relationship. And, you know, Gil was obviously a great manager, should be in the Hall of Fame. And Tom Seaver just loved him like a father. And that kind of helped, I think, the team. It helped them in 69 get to where they had to be, that beautiful. And then that's probably why Tom also became the leader he was. He was always a player's leader. He was a player with the Mets. He was with other teams, and he became that special guy. And it was a shame when he came back in 83, opening day he pitched. It was a big, big day. Sellout crowd, lots of cheering, standing ovations, and he actually pitched pretty well. Against the Phillies. And, and, um, you know, he had a so-so year. And then, of course, like Rob mentioned, the Mets let him left him unprotected. Who And Frank Cashin, the Mets' legendary GM, yep. said it was the worst mistake he ever made as a GM, was leaving Tom Seaver unprotected. Well, well, isn't it true, even though he played for three other teams, is his um, section of the Hall of Fame, he's wearing 
a Mets jersey. A Met. yeah. Oh no, he's a Met. No, he's no, he's, a he's it's he not was a Met close. for twelve years. Okay, okay, oh, okay. not even close. No, yeah, and he, he, was a and Met he also, for twelve years. Remember, he also opened. He closed Shea Stadium the last night. Him and Mike Piazza walked out, walked into the outfield, shut the door, shut the lights, and then when City Field opened up the next April, he opened it up throughout the first pitch. Now he is a Met. He's a Met icon. By the way, I am the IMDB of D Grove. Uh, so I just want to fill in some context. D Grove was actually at that game uh, when they closed up Shea Stadium. He had just he had just watched a brutal, horrific defeat to the Marlins yet again to send the Mets home for the season, uh, and then had to sit there and stew as the festivities took place. They did a beautiful ceremony. It was a great ceremony. Seaver Piazza. They they brought in players from 30, 40 years ago, even guys who were kind of obscure. Right. They did a fantastic job. Because obviously there was a little bit of a down, you know, with the crowd, but once the ceremony got going, it was good. And again, Seaver was fantastic. So riddle me this, Batman. So I and I will I'll I'll give you that. I remember that. But then when the new stadium opened, there were no murals to any of the, the Mets. It was like a Brooklyn Dodgers stadium. Right? You wouldn't even know. Like if you dropped somebody yeah. in there, if we did like the, the pinata game from a kid, like put a, a blindfold and yep. spin around it twice. I'd be like, oh, uh, uh, I'm in a baseball stadium, but I don't know where the yep. freak I am. You walk yeah. into, and you still do to this day, the Jackie Robinson Rotunda, which Jackie Robinson is a superstar of the game, a a, a true icon. But, right. but, uh, and, yeah. and if, but, but, uh, Thad, if you want to edit this part out, you can. Hmm. Never played for the Mets. No, and and is that because they, from a marketing standpoint, they decided that the Mets should be the natural, ancestral, partially uh, heritage Brad, of the of the old, partially the the, the, the rest of the being, National League. Yeah. Well, then, th- that and there was actually talk at the time that they should have named the stadium uh, the Jackie Robinson Stadium or, or something to that effect, and instead oh. instead they went for the money of a Citibank uh, sponsorship. So that was their nod to Jackie Robinson. They said, well, we'll name it City Field, but he will be well represented. And that was part of it. And also the fact that the Fred Wilpon grew up as a huge Dodgers fan. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. But, you know, put a couple of stats. You go to Philadelphia, there's like a Mike Schmidt statue. I think they named a beer after Greg Luzinski. Yeah. Or like when you have to post bail, it's like the Greg Luzinski bail bond yeah. mm. in Philadelphia. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's oh, weird. yeah, Nats Park, they have, you know, the greatest pitcher of the Washington Senators was Walter Johnson. They've got a statue of him. It's not, and there's nothing to do with the right. Expos turned nationals. Well, that's a question I have for you, that. Yeah. Like, yeah, How that much does the Expos history play into the Nationals history? Do they consider Expo like Andre Dawson? Do the, If they talk about the best outfielders of, of Nationals history, is Andre Dawson in that conversation? And I might not be good at the names. We do have an Expos Day every year, and everybody wears an Expos uniform. Yeah, but the and Nats, every, uh, any living Expo guy comes and he talks to the park. Whoever was good, uh, we right. and I did a whole episode on it last year. Now they didn't do it this year; they couldn't fit right, it into the sure. sixty day. But for the previous eleven years, they did it every year. Well, uh, maybe Degrove knows this too. So. Let's say uh, Andre Dawson had 56 stolen bases and it's the most in in Expos history and nobody on the Nats ever did it. If somebody on the Nats stole 57, would they be passing Andre Dawson in Washington Nationals 
record books or do they just close the record books on Montreal and that they're like those records are not part of Nationals folklore? They, they have a certain number. So they have this thing in the stadium called the Ring of Honor yeah. where they have names and numbers. And there's a half a dozen of those guys are expos. Okay, got it. All right. That's but but they, don't, they don't seem to acknowledge it as much. They seem to acknowledge the Washington Senators a lot more than the Montreal Expos, right? Well, did the Expos ever win a World Series? I know they, they went, went to, to a World Series, I think. Did they really? Okay. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, because the, at least the Senators back in the 20s with Johnson did at least win a couple of World Series, right? So yeah. we, there's a lot of stuff about that. And then now there's the new World Series. You know, there it's there. It's part of the, you know, Senators, Nats. It's part of the evolution. And they give everybody equal time in terms of the flags hanging outside the stadium when you first walk in. They have their logos. So they give them equal time, although in, in that sense. Uh, but obviously. Well, the Senators uh, yeah. became the Twins, though. Yeah. Well, no, the Senators, once they became the Twins, once they became the Rangers, because they were two different two senators. senators, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 oh. But to Ian Otter's question, when you talk about all-time home run leaders for the Nationals, it's just Nationals. Yeah, really? yeah. I mean, they were the worst team in baseball for years and years and years. You know, I think we should just, Take note that anybody that wants to stay alive on their motorcycle <laughs> should point their browser to arrivealivepodcast.com. We have a special episode that just launched today. We have Portia Taylor, uh, who is in L.A., and she just spoke at the National March on Washington last month, and she's my special guest. Arrivealivepodcast.com. Please give a listen. So, David, I know you wanted to talk about the future. You wanted to talk about what's going to happen in the offseason, what's going to happen next year, 2021. 20, Do you want to get us started on that? Yeah, sure. You know, I started talking about how optimistic I am now because of Steve Cohen. But, you know, even if Steve Cohen wasn't coming, I'd be much less optimistic. But, you know, the Mets are actually, people aren't talking about this, they're in pretty good shape. They have a good amount of young players, good young players, and they only have a couple of contracts. They only have, I think, three contracts going into next year, three guaranteed contracts. DeGrom, Cano, who by the way is having a great year, and uh, Familia. And Familia only has one more year left. So if you think about it, the Mets have a lot of money they could spend even without Steve Cohen. So I would imagine they're going to be in good, good shape going forward. So I'm very optimistic about the Mets going forward. But let's talk a little bit broader, okay? So, I mean, just about baseball in general, because, I mean, and I agree with Len, let's not make this a COVID podcast, but we know that the the season we have today is a direct result of, you know, what has happened. So what about next year? We're going to have 162 games. I mean, it's it's also a contract year uh, for uh, the Players Association. Look at the oh, crap right. that we had to go through yeah. just to get these 60 games. You know, at one point we were going to have 80 games or 100 games. So, I mean, what is going to, are we going to have stands in the fa- in the uh, stadium? I mean, some of the college teams have got uh, fans. Some of the NFL football teams yeah. have got uh, fans. And we, the Red Sox had one fan. Did you see that yesterday? Oh, oh yeah, the guy yeah, that yeah. climbed the, the green yeah. monster fence? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you think? Is it? I mean, is it all dependent on a vaccine, and we all go, "Yay, we get the vaccine, and everything goes back to normal"? Or is there another plan? Degrove. Ah, uh, you know that's a tough call. If I, you know, if I had to predict, I, you know, I usually go to spring training every year. Okay, we're not going this year. 
Cause I don't think it's going to be like the normal spring training. I don't think they're going to have a ton of fans there and interaction. And, but I think they will have spring training and I think they will have some semblance of a normal season next year. I think they'll play 162. They will have fans. Maybe it'll be limited. Maybe it won't be, you know, maybe there'll be some social distancing, but no, they could, I mean, I'll put it this way. If there's no baseball in 2021, Man, we have a lot, a lot more to worry about than just baseball. Well, that's true. But, I mean, you're saying in spite of whether or not there's a magic uh, uh, elixir. I mean, even if we'll just – because we've learned – it seems like every, the world has learned how to deal with, with the, where we are now. And there is masks and social distancing and people do go to – are going back to work, you know. And nothing's really changed since March. But everybody – Well, the number of people dying and going into the hospitals has changed. Right, it's, it's down, and it's, not uh, it's down, but it's not still, that it's much. Horrible. It's still horrible. Yeah, we're still around a thousand deaths a day. Yeah, I mean, America still, is. It's up yeah. there, you know. But I, you know, I think they're going to come out with a vaccine, but it's not going to be a magic vaccine. No, it's going to be like sixty percent or something, or seventy percent, like the full yeah. shot. You know, you get a full shot. Yeah, you do yeah. work. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it will change things, won't it? It'll make us more confident to do things like go to a stadium. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but this is going to be... Restri- I, I, my guess is there'll be restrictions. My guess is there'll be fans, but it won't be... You know, it'll be separate sections. It'll be social distancing. It'll probably be one of those in-between things. Better than this year, but not anywhere like it was last year. Well, what about the union negotiations? You think these... I mean, at, we, we observe these guys negotiating for months and months and we talked about it i mean are they going to be able to as clark and um what's his face are they going to be able to sit down and hammer something out well that's no i think that's after next season right well i mean that but that's the contract year right so they're going to start negotiating like right away right right after the world series but there won't be lockouts or strikes till till after 2020 yeah 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 but i mean we'll know kind of have a sense of what's going to happen right either they're going to be moving towards something or they're not, right? Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of people are pessimistic about this. A lot of people think a strike or a lockout's inevitable. Really? Yeah, that's that's what people think. They're so far apart. There's so much animosity between the two and distrust. People, A lot of people think there's no way they're going to come up with a deal. Okay. Well, I just... And, you know, how many fans did they lose this year just because of the circumstances that nobody could control? You know, I mean, when I look at the ratings here locally, of course, we've got a losing team here in Washington, but I I imagine it's reflected elsewhere as well. I mean, they just they didn't like get the same number of people watching TV as they had last year. Are your TV ratings are down that much? They are here. Yeah. But like you said, you were a World Series team last year and this year you were in last place. Yeah. So there was a lot of goodwill, but that didn't last long when you were losing every single night. (laughs) I mean. I guess people watch less. I mean, I still watch. Rob, you don't watch as much, right? Nope. I mean, people do watch less. Remember, the bars, you know, are empty. So, you know, people sitting in bars watching the games anymore. So it makes yeah, sense. well, that's another thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, the media coverage is less. Um, you, you read about it less in the paper. NFL yeah. is down. Uh, I'm just looking. Yep. Uh, MLB is down. Uh, yep. NBA from 39 million to 26 million over one weekend. Yeah, they're down. And you know what? And even if, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen probably five commercials the whole year because I watch it on the YouTube app and I just, I, you know, 20 minutes ahead, I'm 20 minutes behind. I don't have to watch one freaking commercial, one inning break, and I can see the plays over and over again. Um, 
I don't know how they're going to get past that, but, uh, but then else you have the fan duels and the, you know, now you could bet on how many, you know, strikeouts that Pete Alonso is going to get, I can't which I should it. really start doing that. I should move to Jersey so I can make some money and bet on Pete Alonso's <laughs> well, strikeouts. Well, well, with that, you think maybe it's possible that, remember, this is the first time ever in history we had the four major sports playing at the same time, right? That's right. That is NHL, true. NBA, NFL, and baseball. So I wonder if that's so the same. They're poaching each other's audience, basically. It could be a little bit, right? You got yeah. four sports yeah. at once. Well, plus all this um, election furor, not to be political, but obviously it's, you know, people were, you know, they were having the conventions at the same time the, that you had the Stanley Cup playoffs and yep. the NBA playoffs and everybody's fighting for the same audience. Right. That, and usually those things are carefully separated for the benefit of the advertisers, I guess. Yeah. But uh, they try to make it separate. But but they've all been crunched together. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Mets mom! Thank you very much! Quick reminder, you can find this series on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, as well as many of your favorite player apps. You can follow us on Twitter at at CheapSeatsDC, and you can reach us by email at the cheap seats DC at gmail.com. See you next time on From the Cheap Seats. Take me out to the ball game. The From the Cheap Seats podcast is a public service provided by Thad Helsley Media LLC, all rights reserved. You okay back there, Denise? I think so. I've never been on a motorcycle before. Well, get used to it, honey. And don't you worry about a thing. I have the number one motorcycle safety podcast in America called Arrive Alive. And you can find it at ArriveAlivePodcast.com.